When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a cricketing podcast with myself, Toby Tarrant, the one and only Mr. Daniel Norcross and ex-England international Stephen Finn, who are both here with me. Um, let's start with you, Daniel. What what are you wearing? What what shirt is that? What are you doing? Yeah, well, uh, yesterday I played my first game of cricket for two years uh, in a charity game at my old school, and um, the, it, it finished early enough. Got back home, watched the Euros uh, with my wife, uh, obviously being careful with COVID and all that, and. Uh, and then watched what, what was a very confusing display, it seemed to me, because um, uh, it was really good and uh, for a while. And we scored really early, as you all know. And um, then it all went horribly wrong at the end. And I didn't really feel anything. But in the process of watching it, I drank really quite a lot. And uh, then the lacrimosity hit me. And then I went to bed about two o'clock in the morning. And then I woke up with such a hangover that I haven't left the house. So I'm just wearing the same shirt that I went to. Because in club cricket these days, you have to turn up already changed you can't use the change rooms and I came back and didn't bother changing and then watched the football and then woke up in the same shirt as I played cricket in yesterday and it's repulsive uh, and that's probably going to set the, the tone for the today's podcast I think you really are and I, and I, and I don't say this lightly Daniel a dirty mm. bastard aren't you really oh I am yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk to me most importantly about the game of cricket wickets runs oh yes catches. no 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 I mean I've got the first 10 overs off because uh, we had 12. So I was, I was only going to, I thought, I feel for like five or 10 overs, then I'll bat. And then unfortunately, I went on after 10 overs and two of our 50-year-olds went down with shoulder and back injuries. So I was stuck out there for the rest of it. And then I thought, I need some time to roll my cigarettes. So I said, put me in a seven skip, that's fine. Went in after our top order had gone unbelievably slowly. So we needed 10 and over off 10. And uh, chased a wide off the first ball and got a single. And then the second ball, I, I just whacked it into my own shin, ran one, <laughs> was running back for the second because there was an overthrow uh, when I was given out LBW, which uh, which was extremely <laughs> upsetting. Wow! So you know it was it wasn't a great performance. I, I mean, I think uh, there are things I could work on, uh, like all of my play. But I did manage to throw the ball in from about forty yards without dislocating my shoulder, which at fifty-two is a serious result. Well done, mate. Well done. I thought you were going to say... You're only 52. Fuck me. <laughs> he called me. He, he, was on te- he was on TMS this week, this bastard, and he called me a 140-year-old Brad Pitt. And, and then, when I looked slightly askance at him, he said, Brad Pitt? I'm giving you Brad Pitt. <laughs> That's yeah, true, 100, to be fair. 140? What would he look like? Have you seen Uhura in Star Trek when she has the ageing process? Well, you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a compliment. I'll take that. Do you? Yeah. 
It's not like he said you're like just, a, what have I become? A hundred and forty year old, you know, <laughs> Timothy Spall. He went for Brad Pitt. I think it could have been worse. I'd take that. Well, a hundred and four year old Timothy Spall is not possible to imagine. Whereas a hundred and four year old, I mean, Brad Pitt probably will live to be hundred and forty, won't he? Hollywood, they sort of, you know, I don't know what they do, but inject themselves. They get himself frozen or something. Frozen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. At what point do you imagine him being frozen, Finney, just out of interest? Because are you sort of saying... That 139. Basically... Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's... <laughs> he, isn't he sickeningly like... Uh, I don't want to Google it. I think Brad Pitt's scarily like 57 or something and just looks absolutely fantastic. I'm pretty sure he's way older yes, than you realise. He's you way sick. older than me. Hang, yeah. hang on, let's check that, actually. So, Daniel Norcross, you are 52 years old. Um, yes. Brad Pitt is is 57 years old. Brad Pitt's five <laughs> years older than you. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> oh, oh I, I don't know, actually. I genuinely don't know what happened. I mean, I've basically lived a cosseted life. You should see my hands. They're as soft as a five-year-old, five, well, just a five-year-old, boy <laughs> or girl. There's, there's not a callus on it. I mean, my skin's very smooth. That's because you've never done a day's work in your life. That's why. I've tried, to, I've tried to avoid a day's work in my life. That's correct, yeah. Uh, that's... I, actually, I was a removal man for one day when I was 18 years old. And how'd that go? Well, not great. I got a sore back, do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, actually, I, I think I probably did get a callus on that one day, but I got called the prof by, uh, by the crew when I... Not quite sure whether that was meant complimentarily or not. <laughs> Almost certainly not. Uh, now, speaking of Brad Pitt, you know, cricket's very own Benjamin Button. Look at Finney. He looks as young as the day he first pulled on an England shirt. Where did you watch the game last night, Finney? Um, at home. Yeah, we are, um, we're performing safe living at the moment because of the spate of coronavirus cases in, um, in county cricket at the moment, I think. So, yeah, we're... We were told not to go out or do do anything like that. So, yeah, I watched it in solitary confinement in my house. And that is just when I thought I'd heard all the catchphrases and buzzwords that COVID could throw at you and loads of expressions I never thought I'd hear before or since. Safety living is a whole new ball game. Well, the problem is I spent a day with Daniel Norcross at Lords the other day, which is not safe <laughs> living. In, in the vicinity of Dan is not safe in the slightest for anyone. Um, so, so yeah, I, I suppose I've not adhered to that wholly. Yeah. And if anyone listens to this, I mean, the three people that listen to us, if one of them reports me, then I could be in fucking <laughs> strife. But you'd um, be very unlucky. You are a sort of a sort of human black hole, Norcross, where everything that goes within ten meters of you just gets sucked into a sort of abyss. Yeah, there are actually slightly different COVID rules when I'm in the box. So it's supposed to be two meters normally, and we're supposed to have like a perspex screen between us, but. They've taken to just erecting a giant wisteria, and uh, just because it's, it's got it's less, it's less porous basically, and we've got to be at least five meters apart. And yeah. um, and most people uh, actually are also like made to wear iPads and, uh, and and earplugs, and I have no idea what that's all about, but um, <laughs> it seems to work. Now, I, I do have to, make, have to mention this because you were both on Test Match Special, a huge platform where only cricket fans listen. And uh, when I did uh, dip in and out, I didn't hear this magnificent podcast mentioned at all. But I did hear Stephen Finn mention his Test 50, which he manages to slip into pretty much every single conversation. Finney, to be fair to you, you made it until um, 209, I think it was, before you mentioned your Test 50. How did you worm it into this discussion? Well, I just think it's a very pertinent piece of information that has come into my repertoire as a result of my involvement in the game over the years. And yeah, if, if I've got an opinion to offer on batting, it, it's obviously far more valid with a Test Match 50 behind it. So <laughs> if, I, um, if I offer any advice or criticism to batsmen, I do just remind them I have a Test Match 50 and... I mean, some of them in that England team do, but a few of them don't. So technically, I'm better than that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, how did you manage to worm it into a discussion about how England should be batting towards the back end of their innings? Well, it actually wasn't, was it? It was about an hour and a half in. So they're about 20 overs in to a white ball game. Uh, it was probably Salt and Vince smashing it around everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> but we just lost a couple of quick wickets. Lost a couple of quick oh, wickets. Right. And I said, it's important here to build much like... <laughs> how I had to rebuild the innings when I saved the test match for England in 2013. So 
I had to take my time. I had to relay to Kevin Peterson, Ian Bell, who came in and then got out whilst I was batting with them. You know, I had to hold the innings together around those guys. So, yeah, I'd say, if anything, I've got all the experience there that's required at any stage of any international. So the oracle of knowledge, I'm, I'm more than willing to share that with you. <laughs> if anything, Kevin Peterson was slowing you down in that innings, wasn't he, Finney? Just getting in the way. Well, yeah, he took a few balls to get in, which affected my rhythm and flow. So, <laughs> you know, it's nice... I had to shoulder the burden of the scoring at that stage of the innings. And, and yeah, if KP could have come in and just sped it up a little bit, it would have helped me out in that in that innings. But but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't to be. It was my day, not his. Yeah, and you know, he told he told this story about uh, KP and Paddy being uh, getting out on this famous day. And of course, who's our co-commentator? Is Ian Bell, who you know obviously had to sit back and listen to memories of Finney's fifty. Yeah, this story. Ian Bell, one of the great, one of the great batters this country's ever produced. (laughs) Finney, can we set you a challenge that next time you go in as a night watchman or you're batting with like a serious serious batsman, can you please completely seriously walk out to the middle and go, I'll take five, leave you one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the job of a night watchman. You know that? You've watched cricket before. It is the night yeah, watchman's yeah, 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 job yeah, yeah. to take all the strikes. That's true. That is true. I just want you to go full Ben Stokes, Jack Leach, but in reverse. <laughs> just, just, tell one of, just tell one of your top order, like David Milan, who's teeing off. David, I'm seeing it well here. I'll tell you what, I'll take five and you just survive one and leave, <laughs> leave, leave it back to me, mate. Um, now, we have touched on uh, COVID there and safety living or whatever, whatever that is. So Derbyshire versus Essex was the big news story this week. It has been abandoned due to a COVID case and obviously lots of people being in close contact with that member of the squad. The game was sort of up in the air. Derbyshire were 146, Essex 86 to 3. So it's probably heading towards a result. It does feel like, and you'd have seen out and about the minute, people are getting pinged all over the place. There's um, friends of mine who have had to isolate people at work that I know and stuff like that. It does seem to be this could well be the start of a lot of this over the next few months this summer in the cricketing world. So Derbyshire Essex feels like a bit of a watershed moment. We have got the 100 just around the corner. We have got England versus India as well in a test series. And I have to say at the moment, and this is not because I question the ability to do biosecure bubbles and stuff, but it just feels like at the moment, very, very unlikely that we're not going to see more of this. Of course, England have to change their entire ODI squad at the very last minute last week as well. It it doesn't look good for the rest of the cricket season. And I, I, I hate to say that just for the sake of being negative, but I'm just being realistic here. Norcross, how do you envision, first of all, the 100 going with everybody sharing the same hotel and also the England versus India test series with the world the way it is at the moment with things opening up and the cases on the rise? I, I think it's really, really perilous. I mean, what happened today with Essex is that let's put this into context. You know, they are the reigning county champions won the Bob Willis Trophy last year. They were looking for a result in this game. They're not going to get one. And we wait to find out what points are going to be awarded. But it looks very likely that that's going to scupper their chances of defending their title. And if you care about the county championship, that's that's a really quite an important moment. You're right. What happens to the 100? Because after this, the 100 starts on the 21st of July, which is Wednesday. Wednesday of next week. Is it conceivable after Kent had the same problems and now Derbyshire, is it really conceivable that notwithstanding the safe living that they're being encouraged to do, that you can take 240 moving parts, that's what we're talking, eight franchises of 32-odd people plus the support staff, all the drivers and everything that goes with that. You're talking about 400 moving parts probably going up and down the country, playing against each other in different venues, all in cities, which is where COVID is rampant. London, Birmingham, Nottingham, Southampton. You know, these are Manchester. These are places where there are really high levels. Is it realistic that they don't get positive tests? And if they do get positive tests, if they adhere to the rules as they currently are, and let's be really clear, this isn't about being pinged on an NHS app. This is where contact tracing is involved. So if you are... If you have a positive COVID test, you have to report it, at which point Track and Trace will ask you, have you been within two metres of anybody for more than 10 minutes in a not well-ventilated space without mitigations taking place? All of these cricketers will have to say, yes, they'll have been in changing rooms 
with people, that have been on coaches with people, that have been moving around with people. So that means that each side would then have to quarantine for 10 days. In 100 land, that's three matches. Now, if it happens with one team, as we saw in the IPL, they try to solve the problem. Once it hit the second team, once there was an outbreak elsewhere, the whole thing becomes impossible. You just can't rearrange fixtures. You can't make it happen. So there's that issue. And that is one that, you know, we just have to keep our fingers crossed because I don't know what mitigations can be done. You then think about how this would affect the ECB, its finances in the cricket summer. And to me, the test series, this isn't because I'm an old fuddy-duddy, although I am an old fuddy-duddy, but the test series brings in the most amount of money. There are five test matches against India. That's where the majority of broadcast deal comes into the ECB's coffers. Now, on the, I know it's very boring and long-winded in some ways. On the 16th of August, the regulations change. You don't have to, you don't have to isolate if you've been double jabbed. So it's conceivable that the England test team could be double jabbed. One of them could test positive after the 16th of August. And all that happens is the person who's got the COVID positive test can't play, but everyone else can, just the same way as if somebody had flu or a cold or, or whatever within the changing room. But that means you've got to get through those first two tests. So to me, you've got this strange issue where the 100 franchises think that they want test players playing for them as marquee players. All due respect to Rory Burns, that's not him coming in at number six and facing five balls is not going to bring on a new generation of people who aren't currently interested in cricket. I'd take him out of the 100. I'd say, do your safe living at home until the 1st of August. Come together bring the test team together using much the same methodology. A lot of those guys who are playing red ball cricket are not involved in the 100, but some of them are. So in order to mitigate this risk, they've got to, it seems to me, try and get that test side together, having made sure that they are safe, that they have been tested frequently, regularly. And to do that, you've got to give them quarantine for 10 days. And that's the start of the 100, 21st of July. Then they gather three days before the test, and then you've got to keep them as bubbled as humanly possible for the next two weeks. That gets them through the Lord's test, the Trentbridge test and the Lord's test. And then after that, well, the rules change and we might be able to save the test match summer. But if we don't, if they don't do something like that now, there's a very real danger that you get an outbreak in the England camp. England can't put together a, a second string test site. And you can't even be sure that India would want to stay if they see their opponents of all, essentially, they're no longer available because they're quarantining. It's not a great look. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really serious danger. I'm sorry to sound quite so Cassandra-ish about it, but I can't see it any other way. I mean, this should be a wake-up call. When two counties go down like that in three days, how are they going to mitigate this massive risk now? The force of England putting out a second string test team. They can't put out a first string test team at the moment. Ooh, yeah. So I'd, I'd, I'd hate to see the 11 that they managed to, to churn out for that test series. I completely agree. I mean, the ECB must be tearing their hair out, which, you know, to be fair, as every industry has for the last 18 months, they're not the only ones here, you know, try whinging to a, a nightclub owner or a theatre owner, you know, about the ECB. But their baby, the 100, it seems cursed at the moment. And every time it's about to happen, it can't happen. It, it feels like the only way that the 100 could realistically work would be almost Olympic Village style. They go and take one ground over and somehow all eight teams are based there and nobody goes out or in. It's a sort of an eight-team bubble. But on this short notice, I can't see that happening. There is Sorry, there is one other solution and it's not a desirable one, I don't think. And it's that they don't test. Because if you don't test, you don't find out and you're taking a massive risk with people there. But if they do test, it seems inconceivable that they won't get more positive tests. If they test every day, this is what is going to happen. So, I mean, Finney, you'll know a bit better from being in a hundred franchise. What, what, what kind of mitigations are there? What, how do you, when do you meet up altogether? Our last T Twenty Blast game is the eighteenth of July, and we meet up the next day, and then. Our first game is the 22nd of July, I think, at the Oval against the Invincibles. So, yeah, I, it's not been fully explained, but as far as I understand, there's discussions going on with medical teams and 
doctors and organizers to work out how it's going to work at the moment. So I'd imagine there'll be some more clarity in the next few days. I mean, if there's a player who's in the Derbyshire squad, Critchley, for example, who's also playing in the hundreds, he's got to isolate now for 10 days from today. So that abuts up against the start of the hundred. So you can see just how perilous the situation is because as further outbreaks take place in county teams, if they do over the course of the next week, that will take out 100 players. Now, how do they backfill them with the Royal London One Day Cup happening? Does the Royal London One Day Cup happen? If they're determined to keep backfilling with available with players who are within the county circuit, and if you don't have that tournament, because that's, a, that's an option, isn't it? I mean, thinking about it. I heard that Simon Katic was down watching you yesterday, and and he said, <laughs> yeah. "No, no, he's got absolutely no fucking hope." And he's really seventy three. Yeah, he said he's seventy three. He's probably a bit over the hill, so uh, so no thanks. He's still got a good arm though. He's still got a good arm for forty yards. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're inside, the, as long as you're in the thirty yard circle. Well, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the most important question is. You know what happens to Finney's twenty-five thousand pounds from the Manchester Regions, but much more importantly, and the rest. And has he spent it already, assuming it was coming? I'd love the idea of Finney's been living it up the last few weeks, and then suddenly it could the, the rug could yeah. be. Where? What, what am I going to have been buying? Buying himself expensive clothes. <laughs> I don't know, Finney. I don't. I don't the, the mind boggles what you what you're into and what you would spend twenty-five thousand pounds on. But I just hope you haven't blown it already assuming it was eventually coming in. I think there's going to be so many question marks over... I mean, we're going to find out as we go along, but at the minute, the rate that people that I know are getting pinged and told to isolate, it seems very, very difficult to, to get any cricket on. Now, the next step could be they're, they're handing out you know special dispensations for crowds. We saw huge crowds at Wembley. We've seen full test grounds in the cricket. We've seen one-day internationals with huge crowds. Will sort of the next step be that they offer special dispensation to sporting events. So do they turn around to the ECB and go, right, you don't have to all isolate. We'll give the 100 special dispensation. You don't all have to isolate if somebody tests positive for COVID. Only that person and anybody else that tests positive. But if you've been in close contact, but you pass a test, then you carry on playing. I, I think that is another option. And when there's money in play, then these things can happen. But it will be fascinating to see what happens in the next few weeks. It's it's never, it's never a good look, though. No, if people that 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 people that ordinary people, myself included, mm. very much envy the uh, the the life of the cricketer. We may be wrong to do that, but we look at that and think, God, oh, like that. If you're not able to come back from certain countries without quarantining, if you've got to miss important work because of the rules and regs that they are up to the 16th of August, people will resent that kind of special dispensation being given, won't they? Especially to people in professions that they sort of jealously wish that they were involved in themselves. So I don't know. I think this is a problem that ECB's got to solve. I I, I do think that they can make some mitigations. And I, I mean, I think they can do things to the test team that I think they can protect that, at least uh, take away some of the dangers. It'll always be imperfect because there's a lot of it going on at the moment. You know, we're about to have Freedom Day, as it's called on the 19th of July, and that'll only see a ramp up of cases. So I guess the players themselves have got to be hyper aware of it. Finney's obviously aware of it because he's been told to do safe living. So there's there's obviously something happening in the system to try to encourage this. I mean, do you get kind of do's and don'ts, Finney? I mean, do they, they sort of give you a kind of list of things? That yeah, would be I mean, advisable? you're just encouraged to, well, one, follow the guidelines that are put there by the government and social distancing, mask wearing, et cetera, et cetera, trying to mitigate your use of public transport and stuff like that. And then whilst you're at the grounds, making sure that if you're there, all the dressing rooms are spaced out. So you're more than two metres apart, which again, will hopefully mitigate if someone does get it or has it, that bringing it into the dressing room and other people getting it is less likely because you are social distance and you're not touching the same things. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely guidelines and things that we're following at the moment to try and make sure that cricket continues because also we have a responsibility to make sure you can't obviously help it if if you go to a supermarket and stuff, but you can try and mitigate the risks and that's what we're being encouraged to do at the moment. I feel like safety living sounds like 
what Daniel's going to be doing in about five years, <laughs> where like everything, all the edges and all the tables have got like all, rubber they already protection do, over they them. They already do, don't you worry. You've got, you've got a non-slip mat in the bath. <laughs> you've got one of those things that lowers you in. A stair that takes you up. The, a chair that takes the you up. Shower. No, 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 look, yeah, no, a swing. Me, a swing in the shower. Those are good. Just about this. You know, it'll come to you one day. You'll discover <laughs> what it's like. You know, you'll be putting your, your dentures <laughs> in a little pot next to your bed. And uh, it, it'll, it'll happen. So, And I'll, I'll, I'll feel bad about all the times I, don't think I laid you, into I don't think you will, but you, but you will experience the, no, the true horror of the decaying and tropic aging process. There'll be some young whippersnapper being mean to me about my age 30 years from now. Um, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I can. Do you know, I, we did mention in passing the, uh, we've not really touched on the England versus Pakistan series, which has been, by the way, I should mention, an incredible couple of performances by the sort of England B team slash C team against Pakistan so far, who are a good side Pakistan as well. But um, we have to talk about the fact that England announced all 15 of their squad at the last minute weren't available. So we waited with bated breath to see who they announced. No Darren Stevens and no Stephen Finn. Absolutely appalling decision from the ECB. Finney, you must have been watching your phone all day, just waiting. No, I, I tend to <laughs> let my phone go straight through to the keeper whenever anyone rings it. I, I, I hate speaking to people on the phone. I actually missed my, my England debut call. I missed that one because... I just didn't recognise the number that was calling me. So I was like, fuck that, I'm not answering that. <laughs> and it turned out to be Jeff Miller. So um, <laughs> telling me that I had to go to Bangladesh. So yeah, even if they had have called me, they'd have probably just got my voicemail and, and I'd have had to pick it up later, I'd have thought. That's um, that's amazing because I'm the same. I never accept a call that is a number I don't recognise. I'm like, well, if I, if you're important, you'll WhatsApp me. If, if, you, if you're somebody I know, you'll WhatsApp me. So, um, how, so what, you saw a missed call? Saw a voicemail come through, gave it a listen. Jeff Miller going, hi, Finney, can you call me back? You're off to Bangladesh. No, nah, this was 10 years ago. I don't even know if there were voicemails 10 years ago. It was, um, <laughs> he rang my mobile. I didn't pick up, rang it again, didn't pick up. And I was like, fuck me, someone wants to get hold of me here, but I don't recognise the number, so I'm not having it. And then he must have rung my parents' house because my mum rung me and I was like, okay, hello, mum. She was like, pick up your fucking phone. Jeff Miller's trying to call you. And I was like, Oh shit! Okay, all right. I'll pick it up now. And then he called again, and I picked up, and I got told I was on an England tour. So, yeah, he, he had to go through my mum to get me my PA. That's amazing. You, you're like, <laughs> Bill Murray doesn't have an agent, apparently. Bill Murray just says, "If I want to do a job, I'll call you." Finney's the Bill Murray of the cricketing world. If I want to play for England, I'll call you, Jeff. That's one way of looking at it. I mean, the, the other thing is that we hear a lot about how cricketers are basically cosseted, and it, and it turns out it's entirely true that he, he couldn't even have got into the England team without his mum fielding the course for him. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is getting absurd. There's something, you adorable, there's something adorable you, about it, isn't there? Yeah, did you iron your cap before you went and stuff like that? Cut your hair. <laughs> or, Stitch my name into my, um, into my yeah, test shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Finn, year 11B. <laughs> Spit on, spit on your hand and comb over your hair like they're doing old like sixties, sixties films. I actually, well, talking to mums, this was before the days of like having smartphones as your overseas phone. So I had a little like Nokia thirty two ten or something, and this was before the spot fixing scandal. So you were allowed your phone in the dressing room at the time. Um, I think I watched an entire series of the Inbetweeners during my first test match on my phone with my headphones in. It was brilliant. We batted for so long. I was like, I could have watched the in-betweeners here. Fantastic. <laughs> um, which which in-between which in are you most identify with, by the way, Finny? Because Neil. Who do you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neil. Yeah. Yeah, we'll Definitely see, yeah. Neil. I get called Neil frequently. Yeah. I actually tweeted him once. No, someone tweeted me saying, you look so much like Neil from the in-betweeners and tagged him in. And I was like, well, I fucking hope not. And then... He tweeted me back saying, you know, oil painting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. What's his name? Blake Harrison or something, isn't it? Is that his name? Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Dan? I guess Dan's Greg Davies, isn't he? Dan's Greg Davies' character. Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Either that or Will. If he was if he was 70 years younger, he'd be yeah, Will. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But... yeah. <laughs> 
I bet I'm you not, had a brief, right I bet you used to have a briefcase at school, didn't you, Dad? I bet you took a full leather briefcase. Absolute briefcase wanker. <laughs> I went through a number of different. I went through a number of different bags while I was at school. Thank you very much. One of which was a briefcase. But <laughs> don't chat. I did. I, I I did actually experiment with one of those uh, retro Adidas ones, but um, that was when it wasn't retro. And uh, and I did indeed have a leather briefcase. Yes, I did. Cool, right. I knew just it. For, briefcase, just, just you but you know, you yeah. Look, look, you can't. Have you seen the size of a of a Greek English dictionary? They're very, very big. You've got to have <laughs> quite, quite a lot of briefcases to contain. <laughs> That is, that's, we've, we've, peaked, we've gone to a new level of middle classness. That, that was fan, that was absolutely fantastic. Well, whilst, whilst we're digressing massively, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, Toby. Pity, yeah. you, you you hadn't finished your story, had you? No, I hadn't. I and we batted first. I reckon scored millions of runs. I watched the in betweeners, and then I was um, just about to go out onto the field to bowl for the first time in an England shirt, and I was texting my mum. I was like, "Mum, I'm about to go out on the field here." as you would if you if you had your phone and you were 20 years old. And Andy Flower caught me. He was like, Finn, what the fuck are you doing with a mobile phone? Get off the fucking phone. You're going to bowl for England now. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Did you say I'm texting my mum? I think I did. And oh. then I, I reckon, well, I might not. Have, I can't remember. I can't. Yeah, I can either confirm or deny that, but um, but yeah, he wasn't no, pleased. Oh, this man in world cricket, you say, yeah. sorry, boss, I'm texting my mum. I mean, yeah. <laughs> texting my mum. Yeah. This, this is a man who had to flee his home country because he stood up against the the totalitarian regime that was in charge, and you're there going, sorry, Andy, I'm just texting my mum before I bowl. <laughs> Absolutely. Diana Finn needed to know when I was bowling. <laughs> um, we've not actually asked you about Andy Flower. What, what was he like to work on? He's he's come back in recent years and, you know, um, the, the brilliant film that you featured in The Edge, which was absolutely wonderful. If there's any cricket fans listening to this who haven't seen that, I can't recommend it enough. And he says if he could go back in time and change things, maybe he would have been a bit a bit softer, maybe a bit more understanding of his players. But I guess it's difficult when you're, you know, let's be honest, a hard-nosed bastard like him must be very difficult to, to kind of get into the mindset and sympathise with with maybe the modern day sportsman. How did you find him as a coach? Um, no, I really liked Andy as a coach. He was hard on you and demanded more of you and better of you, which I think is absolutely fair enough. Um, and also with the team that we had at the time, I was the only real young, inexperienced player in it. I was playing in a team of absolute legends um, and people who went on or have gone on to be some of the best that have ever played for the country in test match cricket and I was sort of thrust in there as a youngster so the the management style was very much suited towards people or guys who had been playing for a long time who if their standards weren't up to scratch that they needed a rocket sometimes but it, yeah as a young person in that dressing room Andy Flower like was was scary because you didn't want to piss him off because if you pissed him off you got a rocket and you didn't want an Andy Flower rocket so and also if you were 12th man and you weren't on it you got a rocket as well I remember him actually Monty Panasar fell asleep whilst doing 12th man like under a um, un, under a um, umbrella in Sri Lanka it was like a tour of Sri Lanka 2012 and he was the only 12th man. The others were off in the net. It was like a warm-up game. And it was rocket hot. I'm talking like 45 degrees centigrade hot, humid. So the boys are calling for drinks, like every couple of overs. But it was obviously a bit bit hot for Mont. And Mont used to wear a sun hat everywhere. So he'd always have the sun hat on and his sunglasses on. And he'd sit there and you'd, like, you wouldn't be able to tell if he was awake <laughs> or asleep. So if you were sat next to him, you'd be like... Mon Monty Monty and he'd be like oh. yeah okay he was asleep fine so we're all out there on the pitch and Monty's under this umbrella with the drinks next to him the sun's moved round a bit so the drinks are in the sun now and they're getting warm he sat there with his sun hat on and his sunglasses on arms folded legs crossed with like his chin on his chest like that and and I can hear flower shouting down from the balcony because the coaches were sat up on the balcony Monty <laughs> and Mont's like still asleep the boys are like waving for drinks on the pitch gasping because it's so fucking hot Monty's fast asleep Flower came pegging it down screamed in his ear Monty 
get the fucking boy some drinks. And Monty's like, whoa, okay, all right. And then pegs it out. So he could be, he could be terrifying sometimes, Andy. That's, that's I, was, I think that was the best story. Monty Panasonic of the first action nothing I've ever heard. Oh, that's was absolutely it? fantastic. <laughs> he, he, needs to, he needs to get those glasses that Homer Simpson has when he does jury service and it looks like he's awake even though he's asleep in court. That's absolutely... He also sleeps with his eyes open. So like Monty... <laughs> of course he does. You know, like, so you'd be on the bus and on the team bus and after these long days, like where it's 40 odd degrees, everyone's knackered, people sleep on the bus. And you go down the bus for a leak or something in the toilet and you walk past the Monty's like, he looks like he's asleep, but his eyes are still open. So you're like, what is going on here? Mon? Monty? And he's just fast asleep and his eyes are just open. Like he's just like staring up into space, but he's asleep. Like it was, yeah. It, yeah, Mon. What is the asleep, but with his eyes open on a coach? The funniest. <laughs> like, like half open, like you know, and someone's yeah. a bit like, like that, and you, you you can see his eyeballs, but he obviously can't see you. Yeah, it was yeah. Bizarre. I've only met Monty a couple of times, but he is everything that when you watch him as a cricketer, you'd imagine he would be like. When you meet him, you're like, all oh, right, yeah, he's Monty Patterson. Yeah, that's exactly how I expected him to be. <laughs> Yeah, there's no artifice. He lives round. He lives close to me now. Does he? So I'm just walking around. Yeah, I'm walking around all of a sudden. I was actually walking back from the tube not too long ago. So my house is like down a slight hill from the tube station. So walking down the hill and I like hear this bloke screaming my name. And like sometimes because there's a sports pub on the corner, sometimes someone will recognize me and they'll like shout, Finney, Finney. I was like walking down the road and I hear like someone going, Finney. Fiddy. And I was like, I really recognise that voice. Who the fuck could that be? Turn around and Monty's literally running down the road like this. Fiddy. <laughs> Turn around. All right, Mon, what are you doing around here? And I was like, oh, I live around here. He's like, me too. We should have a drink sometime. I was like, yeah, sounds good. Let me know. No, no, no you've been stood up by Monty Patterson. <laughs> well, in fairness, he, he, yeah. he's been a bit busier than almost anybody else in cricket at the moment, hasn't he? Because Monty, Monty TV takes up quite a lot of time. He's got an entire TV channel. He does. If you think if you think how hard work it is, that's just getting this podcast out once a week. He's got an entire TV channel. Yeah. He's been out in India. He's been in tea plantations. He's doing, isn't he, isn't he doing a, a, a master's or something in... Uh, in broadcast journalism, he's he's everywhere, is Monty. He's a, he's one of the hardest working men in cricket at the moment. He is, and we all sit here, chat bollocks, and then pass it over to producer Sal, who does all the hard work and edits it down. But I've seen Monty in action doing this. He's full Orson Welles. He directs it, he produces it, he stars in it, he writes it. It's Monty Panasar TV. It's a lot of work, Monty. We've got to get him on at some point. He's he's also got. He's got fingers like ET as well. Oh, he's got the world's longest fingers. Long. Oh, yeah, the they longest are. fingers. He shook my hand once and I swear he was tickling my elbow. It was like it went <laughs> such a long way up. It was absolutely bizarre. He's got the longest fingers. Apparently he can hold five cricket balls in his hand, is the rumour that I heard. He can hold five at once. That's I don't know if that's true, but that's the story that I heard once. Guys, just quickly before we go, because we are running out of time, but we do need to discuss the fact that as well that uh, England women's team is the opposite of invincible. Uh, they're vincible, I guess, after losing a couple of games to India. Uh, lost by eight runs in the T20. Uh, also lost by four wickets on the 3rd of July. Did they win the game in the middle by uh, 18 runs as well? But the thing that we've really got to talk about, which I'm sure you've seen on social media, unless you've been living under a rock for the past few days, is Harleen Diol's outstanding catch now it's one of these catches that over the last few years have become commonplace i remember when they first started happening and it was a freak of nature to see these catches where you catch it your balance is taking you over the rope so you chuck it back inside and then you catch it again and they're always incredible catches i don't know why this one is so spectacular to watch i think part of it is she makes it a bit more difficult and convoluted than it needs to be so she balances over, she chucks it back, but she does a terrible throw back for herself. And so she has to probably dive back in and take a second good catch. And so she probably made it harder than it needed to be, but it makes for fantastic viewing. Um, one of the best catches I've seen in a long, long time, Daniel. Where, where were you when you first saw this catch? Uh, I, I think I was lying in bed. Uh, it, it, was one of the rare, it was one of the rare women's games this season that I wasn't commentating on. Yeah, I was going to um, say. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly why. Now I think I had to be somewhere else. Anyway, uh, but it was it was it was four or five days ago, so I've forgotten whatever I was doing then. Um, so I, was, I, I saw it. It came through on my Twitter feed, and 
you're right. It, they have become more commonplace, but there was something a bit more spectacular about it. It was, it's as you say, the throw back in to herself wasn't perfect, and she had to dive. But I've watched it so many times now, and it is basically about a, two frames between her. She does the dive, but she's obviously mm. got still got one foot on the ground. Mm. And it's just when the second foot comes off the ground that the ball lands in her hand. So it's a kind of complete miracle. I mean, it's done, I suppose you'd call it perfect timing, really. And it was accompanied by some brilliant commentary, actually, by Isabel Westbury and uh, Emily Windsor, who the, the startlement in their voice when they when they saw it was exactly how we all felt. It was like, what? You cannot, it's ridiculous. I think they use the word, it's ridiculous, that catch. And it was. Um, but it's part of, how India have been clawing their way back in, actually, into this series. They didn't win that game. I don't, uh, don't believe they did for that one. Uh, but they, they did yesterday with an extraordinary performance, um, inducing a massive collapse in England. It means, because they're doing it on a point system, England have got eight points, India have got six points, and there's one game left to play. So it's all to play for at Chelmsford on Wednesday, and I urge people to watch it, because it will be fun. Shafali Verma, who sort of exploded onto the scene mm. in the test match, played another brilliant thing. She hit five consecutive fours off Catherine Brunt. All of them hit murderously. I mean, I'm talking they would have gone to any boundary that any man plays on. She's an extraordinary talent. And uh, yeah, it was, it's exciting. The, the, the quality of cricket has continued to rise over the mm. last few years. And uh, this series is not disappointed. Well, I think that catch kind of proves it. It is unrecognisable, the women's game at the minute. The, the the rate of progression is incredible. I'd say even in the last three years, it's improved so yeah. dramatically. Um, and yeah, Verma's an absolute joy to watch as well. Uh, very quickly, guys, before we go, I got a wonderful tweet. Um, I talk about cricket a lot on my radio show and I bang on about it. And, you know, some people love it. Some people couldn't care less. Um, I got a tweet from a man, Jeb on Twitter, said, Toby, I'm at the cricket. I thought I'd give it a go. I've had six pints. The crowd are singing football's coming home. There's a giraffe called Lanky wandering about. Some lads dressed in Hawaiian shirts and one dressed as a flamingo. Not sure what's happening on the pitch. And I replied to him, welcome to the beautiful game. And I do, honestly, I try and applaud anyone that's never been to a game of cricket. It is one of the best days out ever. Even if you don't see a single bowl bowled, it is guaranteed to be one of the best. It's basically the best beer garden ever. It's a beer garden where there's also, if you fancy it, a bit of entertainment in the background whilst you sit there and have a drink with your mates. Absolutely wonderful. Um, I want to ask you guys, your first ever professional game of cricket that you went to. Finney, can you remember the first time you went purely as a spectator to go and enjoy a professional game of cricket? Yeah, my parents took me to go and watch Kent versus Leicestershire, I think it was, for some reason, which is miles away from where, we, where I grew up in Watford, but because Steve Waugh was playing oh. for Kent. Um, he came and played a few games in the middle of one summer. And it was the first time I'd seen players wearing coloured kit and using a white ball and stuff. And Steve Waugh was playing. So, yeah, I'd have probably been under 10 or around 10, I think, at the time. And, yeah, I got to go and watch him over at Canterbury, which at the time felt like the biggest cricket pitch and stadium mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and having been there subsequently, I can confirm it's not <laughs> as an eight-year-old. That's absolutely tidy. <laughs> as an eight-year-old, I thought it was the most magnificent, um, like amazing cricket stadium ever. And yeah, I got to watch a guy who was playing for Australia. Did, did he get any runs? Do you remember? I can't remember. I think he did, you know. I think he got... I'm going to check the scorecard now. And I think he got 50-odd not out or something. Kent versus Leicester... What are you yeah. going to type in? How are you going to find this? I'm fascinated. fascinating. This. Talk, yeah. I'll find Talk it. Talk me Don't through worry. your Google process Kent, here. Yeah. Versus Leicestershire. The year's important. Steve yeah. War. No, because he'll have only um, played for them once, wouldn't he? Good point. 2002, I'm saying. Yeah, 2002. So I'd have been 12 or 13. And the score. Oh, I want to find this scorecard. <laughs> That's not it. Listening to li watching and listening, someone googling. Yeah, I bet this is wonderful. <laughs> I'm I'm joining you now. Oh, by the way, 24. Steve War, Kent versus Leicestershire. I'm joining you. I want to find this uh, this scorecard as well. Uh, talk amongst yourselves, Dan. <laughs> by the way, Kent beat Kent beat 
Leicestershire by oh no <laughs> brilliant oh no <laughs> you know we actually haven't talked about the Pakistan one day internationals yet we should no, probably we haven't, find five minutes to do that <laughs> I know we haven't well instead we're trying to google a, a Kent versus Leicestershire yeah. scorecard from 2002 we've not talked about the fact that England have brilliantly beaten Pakistan in a couple of one day internationals Dan yeah. fir- first game of cricket yeah well that's not important this is yeah, sorry, my first game of cricket while he's looking up his well Oddly enough, I don't need Google to tell you what happened in my first game of cricket because it was at the Oval in 1976 in the match that Viv Richards scored 291 runs and the great Michael Holding, who incidentally has written this brilliant book, Why We Kneel, How We Rise, which I have right next to me now. I'm very much looking forward to reading. He took 14 wickets and Tony Gregg was forced to grovel in front of the fans. I was seven years old. It's in the middle of a heat wave. Um, I didn't move from my chair for seven hours and got really bad sunburn and then went back the next day to um, watch a bit more of it. I saw Greenwich and Fredericks put on 186 for the first wicket, at which point they declared 186 for naught, sent England back out to bat. Dennis Amy's got 203. It's one of the most memorable and iconic test matches of the last 50 years. And I was there. And I can tell you then, there were no people dressed as pink flamingos. There were no nuns. There were no people dressed up as, I suppose it would have been Richard Nixon then. There was there was none of that. Uh, you had to wait politely for a pint of cider and it would take an hour and then you'd get it and then you'd sit and you'd make it last because there were sod all bars. Um, you had to sit on a cushion that you rented for 10p because the chairs were made of, of splintered wood. Uh, it was almost everything about the game was austere, just post-war and dreadful uh, in the ground. But it was the most intoxicating, magical and fantastic spectacle. And uh, I was hooked for life as a result. And that is an absolutely wonderful first game of cricket. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? Uh, my yeah. one was a guest of Test Match Special at the Oval when Treskovic scored 200 against South Africa. Oh. Because my dad was a guest on The View from the Boundary. So he took me as a plus one. And I went along and I'd already fallen in love with cricket by this point. But I'd never been to a game before. And obviously, you don't spend the whole day in the Test Match special box. But we sat in our seats all day, very nice posh seats, and watched Treskovic get an unbelievable double 100. And I think Graham Fork got 100 in that test as well. That's often forgotten because Treskovic was so magnificent. And Treskovic, as only he could, you know, brilliant innings to about 100. And then from about 150 to 200, I think he got there in about 20 minutes. He went berserk and was... Slog sweeping, which he had a wonderful slog sweep, Cheskovic as well. He was putting them into the putting them into the road, putting them into the stand. Um, absolutely. And I fell in love with the noise, the atmosphere, the sound of a day at Test Cricket. And then I went with my dad up to the box and I listened to him do the halftime interview, the halftime, the lunch interview with uh, Aggers and uh, was just mesmerised by the view from TMS. And I was a bit gutted that I had to leave because I was like, well, this view's way better than our seat. This is amazing. We're right behind the bowler's arm. Uh, Finney, have you had any luck on Google, mate? Yeah, I have. I have, and I've found the game. And do you know what? I was absolutely spot on. Steve Waugh got 59 not out to win the game for Kent against Leicestershire. Leicestershire got bowled out for 168 with actually quite a few England players in. Darren Maddy, Darren Stevens, 2002. <laughs> <laughs> he was only 37. Yep. Phil De Freitas, he didn't bowl, funnily enough. Oh no, Stevens did bowl. Four overs, one made and none for 19. The Kent team had Saggers, David Masters, Min Patel, Paul Nixon, Mark Elam, Steve Waugh, David Fulton, Ed Smith, that. Matthew Fleming. Yeah, a steady team. Um, and they battered Leicestershire. Javagal Srinath played for Leicestershire as well. Yeah. yeah so, so, sorry, how, how, many, how many overs for 169, was it? 168 off 45 overs. And Kent chased them down in a, uh, in a rapid 44.4 overs. <laughs> wow. Right. I, I've got to say that it's actually a toss-up, really, I think. I mean, if we're thinking about the, the best game here, uh, it's a toss-up between the two oval matches, I'd say, Toby. No, I'd have to, well, Kent, I'd, Kent v. Leicestershire. We have spent ages trying to find Kent v. Leicestershire <laughs> chasing 169 to win in 44.4 overs. Hey, it was exciting. They were wearing coloured clothing. <laughs> Doesn't matter how you discover the game as long as you stay with it. Um, I'll go through some of your tweets because oh. some of you tweeted us this week at Zero Ducks Pod 
your first games, but send those in to me as well. We'll go through those next week. Uh, very quickly on the England team. I can't believe we haven't covered England, but we've covered so much other nonsense in between. Uh, but I should mention that the England B team have spanked Pakistan in a couple of one-day internationals. And I said on the Zero Ducks pod Twitter account that it's getting to the stage where the World Cup should just be the eight best England teams that we can put out competing with one another. We're so far ahead in white ball cricket at the moment. It's been nice as well because everyone's kind of contributed in one of the games. But the standout, you'd have to say, uh, Shakib Mahmood, who has been absolutely sensational with the ball. And Parkinson as well has really impressed me as well. And um, there's been some runs for Phil Salt. There's been some runs for James Vince. Very, very impressive all round. So well done, England. Basically, it's been so easy. We haven't covered it too much. No, just one thing on it, though. I think, you know, we can have a downer sometimes, can't we, as fans, about what the ECB and the scouting, you know, where the selectors get up to. But they put together that team at sort of two or three days' notice. So people like, you know, James Taylor, Mo Bobat, you know, these guys who are sort of looking around and checking out who are the next best players. You've got to give them some credit for putting together not just a squad, but actually knowing what they thought that, that team should look like and put mm-hmm. that out when it had never played. I mean, yeah. it's it's sensational, really. It's an incredible achievement. And I dare say Finney's going to want to talk about it a little bit. But John Simpson getting to play for England at that at that mm-hmm. age, at that stage, when, you know, we, we, we sort of think about what would it take for me to become king? How many people would have to like sort of die in a terrible accident <laughs> before, before, you know, you're king? Approximately 60 well, odd million, I'd say. About about that, yeah, about that. <laughs> but, yeah, but for John Simpson, yeah, he literally did have to have Butler down, Bairstow down, Folks down. I've not even got, I've not even finished them all off yet. So for him to come yeah. in and then and to get the opportunity and then play really well, pull off an incredible catch, brilliant catch. Yeah, amazing he anticipated catch, yeah. that sweep. I mean, it must be brilliant for him, um, Finney. I mean, I don't know if you've spoken to him. Uh, yeah, since, yeah, exchanged since a, he made his exchanged baby. a few messages. I think he. Um, it all happens so quickly. I reckon actually it's the best way for it to be sometimes when it's all yeah all happens quickly and before you know it, you're out there and, and you're just on autopilot enjoying the experience. I think if you've got time to mull over and think about it, then um, your experience or your expectation can become slightly heightened, I'd say. So yeah, like strange circumstances to get called up in, but before you know it, you're out there representing your country, receiving your cap. Mm. And uh, and yeah, it was just amazing to see it. I mean, he's been a consistently brilliant wicketkeeper over a long, long time for Middlesex. One of the best in the country, if not the best, although you'd probably have to say folks um, would be the best keeper in the country. But Simo's definitely up there. And then, yeah, the way he's batted for us in the middle order in white ball cricket and the power he's had, then um, it sort of fully deserves it behind those guys. So yeah, great to see him out there and I'm sure once we're allowed, we'll go and have a barbecue in his flat in Wilsdon Green and, um, and yeah, celebrate it. Well, thankfully, John Simpson answers his phone, unlike <laughs> Stephen Finn, and didn't have to get a call from his mum to say, Simo, you're, you're in the England team next week. What? Uh, chaps, that's all we've got time for. Lovely to see you both. Daniel, please go and change your shirt, you dirty bastard. Oh, maybe Wednesday, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chaps, good to chat to you. I'll see you next week. Cheers. See Bye-bye. Podcast Network.